You're now listening to a podcast of Revolution Church, located at 1702 6th Street in Portsmouth, Ohio. Revolution meets on Sunday evenings at 6.30 p.m. For more information, visit www.revolutionchurchohio.com or check out our Facebook page. Neither of those those answers are wrong, his sovereignty or his gentleness and grace towards his people. Uh, But I fear that because that's usually, we we, we jump towards one or the other, or or, or attributes in one of those two veins, either his power and authority and might, or his gentleness and compassion and kindness. We tend to gravitate towards one of those two areas, and I fear that we might, because of that, have some kind of lopsided worship. We might focus on certain aspects of God at the expense of others. And I fear that because if we're going to worship God rightly, if we're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth, we have to get a full-orbed, right view of God. So whenever we tend to elevate certain aspects of God over others, we can fall into making a false God for ourselves, and then the rest of our thinking falls into error as well. So my goal this evening is to try and balance out both of those views. I want us to have a full view of, God, of who God is, um, or, or at least beginning to have a full-orbed view of who God is by the end of this sermon. Because whenever we can clearly see God's transcendence and His eminence, right, His greatness, His bigness, and also His closeness, we are going to be thrown headlong into pure worship of who God is and find great joy in Him. Right, so my aim tonight is for us to leave here in awe of our God. Right, that's, that's my goal. I want us to leave here just stunned by who God is. So my prayer has been that God would pull back the curtain a little bit for us and let us get a glimpse of his greatness and goodness. Because if we see even just a little bit of who God really is, we aren't going to be able to do anything but worship him. If he lets us see just a little bit of his majesty, a little bit of his glory, we are thrown headlong into pure worship of God. All right, so my big point um, is this. Our God, though mighty and far above us, reaches down and cares for us. And this is the fuel for our praise and worship of God. So without any more for introduction, we're going to be in Psalm 113. Verse 1, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You've given to us that we might not only see ourselves rightly as sinners in need of grace, but that we might see you. Lord, the Bible is a book about you, about your righteousness, about your character, about how you save sinners, about your standards. This whole book is about you and what you've done and in your grace towards your people and your rule over all things. And Lord, I pray that we would get a glimpse of you this evening. 
from this psalm. And Lord, let us leave with hearts of praise. Please bless us and let us see. Wake us up. We are spiritually dull people. We are, we are lazy spiritually and we are not quick to worship you. We are not quick to praise though we should be. Lord, I pray that through looking at this psalm that we might be enlivened and quickened. That we might worship you in spirit and in truth. Please do a work of sovereign grace this evening through the preaching of your word. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this psalm starts with a repetition, right? Three times it said, praise the Lord. I thought this was interesting. It's, it's literally hallelujah, right? Hallelujah, right? Praise be to Yahweh. Yahweh is God's proper name. It's his covenant name, right? So praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh. It's repeated three times. And, and if you're like me, whenever the Bible repeats itself, you want to kind of start paying attention, right? Because God doesn't waste ink, <laughs> okay? So, so this isn't a vain repetition. This isn't just in there because God was trying to fill space and he was like, well, I need an extra verse for this psalm. Um, it's, it, this repetition of, of praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, is meant to stir the hearer out of spiritual sleep, right? Wake us up in a sense, right? Wake us up to our calling to praise God and just... In light of that, just wake up. We need this more often than we'd care to admit. Right? Someone to just hammer into our heads. Praise God. Wake up. You're slow. You're dumb. Right? Because we're often so slow to worship God, though he's infinitely worthy of our praise. But the psalmist kicks this thing off like an alarm clock. Right? Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. But praise, what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to praise? Praise is a form of worship. It's, it's recounting and declaring who God is and what he has done for his people. That's what it means to praise God. It's a verbal form of worship. It's to bow the knee in our hearts to God and declare his worth, right? Both to ourselves and to anyone who's listening around us. So the psalmist is essentially starting off by saying, Come and worship your God. Worship him with your mouth. Give him what is due to him as God. Come and worship. And while... All people, we know this from various parts of the Bible, and we're going to see it also in this psalm, while all people are called to praise God, while all men and women owe God praise and worship, one particular group is named in this first verse. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Right? This is the people of God. Under the Old Covenant, this may have been a specific reference uh, to the Levites, come, lead the people of God in worship. But we know that under the new covenant, a better covenant, the covenant of grace, we know that um, all believers are, are called, that we're in a priesthood. We're in the, we believe in the priesthood of all believers that we see Peter talking about in his epistle. Um, I believe it's 2 Peter. I could be wrong. 1 Peter. We're all, we're all this priesthood of believers. So here, from the new covenant, looking back at this, we see that this is all of the people of God. Servants of the Lord, all believers, all who are members of God's gracious covenant, come and worship. It's as if the psalmist is saying, you who have been brought near to God through faith in his son, Jesus the Messiah, come and worship your covenant God. All right, but all people, as I said, are required to worship. But just think about this. How much more are the covenant people of God called to worship? How much more are we called to worship God, to recount his goodness, to recount his worthiness? Right? We actually know this God. 
Right? We actually know him personally. We don't just know about him, but according to John and according to Jesus, we abide in him and he abides in us. He has revealed himself to us through his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit that we might comprehend the things freely given to us by God in his word. We must worship him. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. Right? God is to be exalted high above everything. This is owed to him. Especially by us, his people. We are to come and bow the knee and humble ourselves before God and ascribe worth to him. Come and behold your God. Is how we could view this psalm as saying, come praise him, come behold him and magnify him. I want to make a note here. We, we might be, whenever we read, praise the Lord. Whenever we read that in this psalm, we might be tempted to read this as an invitation to worship God, right? Or just as an exclamation. That's how I originally read it, right? Because a lot of times something good happens, someone says, hey, praise God, right? Like, that's a good thing. This isn't just an exclamation. This isn't just an invitation. This is actually a command, right? This is imperative. You praise the Lord. That's what's implied here. It's a commandment. And it's commanded to us three times. Come give God what is due to Him. Come worship Him. God demands it of you. This is important for us to understand and recognize that God demands to be worshipped by His people. God demands to be worshipped by all men. But I wonder if this is how we actually think about worship. Right? Do we actually see it as our duty as creatures to praise God? Do you really see it as your duty as a creation to worship our triune God? Is that the heartbeat of your life? Do you see that as a moral imperative on you? This is what God created you for. To glorify Him. To declare and display who He is. He created you to adore Him. Furthermore, not only in our creation of all men and women, but this is why, especially for the believer, this is why God saved you. Right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, you believers. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why we've been saved. This is why God chose us from the foundation of the world. This is why God has united us with Christ and made us a holy nation, the church. It's a people for his own possession that we might declare who he is, that we might praise him, declare the excellencies of the God who has saved us. Our praise and worship is just what is owed to God. It's what we owe him, if nothing else, because he is God. All right, so the creation, if you could remember this little this nugget thing, the creation is to praise its creator, period. The lower always praises what is higher. The creation is to praise its creator. And this psalm is going to flesh this out for us. It's going to flesh out why we should praise. It's going to give us a couple of reasons to praise God, what we should be praising him for. Hopping down into verse 2 and 3. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. So here we're told twice to praise God's name, right? We're told to, we're told to bless it, uh, bless the name of God in verse 2. And bless means to speak good and high things, right? It's to give a benediction, 
right, to speak good words uh, about God's name. It's very similar to praise, so I think we can look at those almost interchangeably in this context. But to bless his name, to praise his name. Um, name here doesn't mean just the literal name of God, right? It doesn't just mean the literal name Yahweh, though, and please, let me, let me press this. This isn't a sermon about the third commandment, but we really, really, really ought to always be careful not to break the third commandment, to take God's name in vain, to make light of the things of God, to, to, to just use God's name as a swear word. We ought not to do that. But name here really means this. It means all of God's attributes. It means all of God's attributes. All of his mighty deeds. Everything about him. Praise everything. Extol everything about him. So the psalmist is telling us in these two verses that we are to think on who he is and praise him for all of it. His name, every aspect of what he has done and who he is. Praise his name, everything about him. But the psalmist also tells us, I believe it's verse, what is it, verse 3, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And this is not meant to be a marker of time, right? From the rising of the sun to its setting, that's not a marker of time. Uh, rather, this is a Hebrew way of saying from east to west. From east to west, the name of God is to be praised. So all people, as I said earlier, all people everywhere are to worship God, whether or not they even know God. That's what I thought was interesting here. Some people see it, uh, this being as a prophetic for the new covenant where Gentiles and all of the nations would come to know Christ or come to know God through Christ. And that might be relevant here. But just but the first thing that I noticed, from east to west, under the old covenant, Everyone everywhere, whether or not they even know God, are still obligated as creatures to praise God. That's powerful. All people, whether or not you're in covenant relationship with God, God still demands your praise. He still demands your worship because He is God. He is still worthy of it, whether or not you even know Him. The psalmist is showing us something of the supremacy of God. Demands worship. But I really want to highlight something that I found to be both challenging and encouraging in verse 2. And I, I pray you guys would receive this. It says, from this time forth and forevermore. From this time forth and forevermore. Praise God at all times. Charles Spurgeon said this, do you praise God? If not, start today and never stop. Right? Never stop. In season and out of season. Praise God at all times. Please receive this. No matter what is happening in the moment, praise God still. That's what's commanded here. This time forth and forevermore. Are you sick? Praise the Lord. Are you healthy? Praise the Lord. Is your home life awful and you do not get along with your family, praise God. Is your home life fantastic? Praise God. Are you rich? Are you poor? Are you unemployed? Do you have a job? Praise God. Do you have children? Praise the Lord. Is God currently withholding children from you? Praise the Lord anyway. Is your marriage awesome? Praise God for that. Is your marriage on the rocks? Praise the Lord anyway. Praise Him always. From this time forth and forevermore. There's no caveat here. Praise Him always. Worship Him always. In joy and in sorrow. Praise God. 
Hear me on this. When you think life couldn't be any better for you, do not become so arrogant as not to give God a thought. When life is going well, praise Him. And when life seems it could not get any worse, do not look inward and wallow in your misery and despondency, but look upward and continue to worship your God. Hear me, we, we, don't, we don't praise pain, right? It's not, thank you God for, for making me suffer. This is awesome and I just enjoy it like I'm some kind of like masochist. Right? It's not what we're saying. We don't praise pain. We definitely don't praise prosperity. But we continue to worship our God regardless of the circumstances from this time forth and forevermore. From this time right now and forevermore. Why? Why in joy and in sorrow do we continue to worship God? Because God is still and evermore shall be worthy of our worship and our praise. Please burn that into your hearts as best you can. God is always worthy of our praise. Regardless of where we're at or what's going on in our life, God is still enthroned as the King of the universe. God is still God and is still infinitely worthy of our praise. This will never change. The worthiness of God is not conditioned upon where we're at in life. He is always to be praised. This never changes. So clearly, in these first three verses, the psalmist has established that God is to be praised. Always. Clearly. Period. But what are we to praise Him for? The rest of the psalm, verses 4 through 9, is going to tell us two huge reasons that we are to praise our covenant God. And the first is for who He is. Verse 4. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. This verse points us at God's uncontested rule over the universe. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above even the heavens. He's uncontested. He is high above all things. Our God is the Sovereign. He is the king. He controls every single thing. Everything in creation falls under his dominion. He is high above all things, all nations. He is above every earthly ruler, every king, every president, every prime minister. He is above every government and institution. He is high above every other supposed false god. Nothing can oppose him, is what verse 4 is telling us. He is all-powerful. His authority is limitless, high above the earth, high above all nations. See this about God. He is terrifying. God is terrifying in His power. He is our dread sovereign, to talk like the King James Bible says. He is our dread sovereign, terrifying in His might. A God to be trembled before. This is why the Bible calls Him the Almighty. He's a God to be feared. Do you see God like this? A God to be feared. Do you see Him and stand in awe before just the sheer, raw power of God? A God to be trembled before. I thought this was nuts. It says His glory is above the heavens. 
So even the place where God is said to dwell, His glory is above His dwelling place. The psalmist is telling us that our God cannot even be contained. He's huge. Right? Donald Trump, right? He's huge. Right? He cannot be contained. God is big. Because His glory is above the heavens, nothing escapes His eye. Nothing. He's the judge of angels and the judge of men. He is the sovereign. He will judge everyone according to what they've done and all will bend the knee to Him because He is high above all that He has created. The psalmist continues in verse 5 and 6, Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Who is like Yahweh our God? That's what he says in verse 5. Who is like our God? No one. Know this. Please hear these next few bits. No one is like our God. This is a powerful verse. No one would dare compare himself. No one would dare compare herself to the sovereign God of all creation. For none can stand before him. There is no one like our God. He is completely unmatched. He has no equal to be found anywhere. Who is like our God? Who can be likened to Him? Who can be compared to Him? The greatest ruler, the, earth, the greatest earthly king's authorities has boundaries. But our God is ruler over the cosmos. and He bows to none. The armies of the nations only have so much power. But our God is the author of life and death. The most intelligent man on earth is still ignorant of something. But our God knows even the thoughts and hearts of men. Even the healthiest person dies. But our God is eternal. Has no beginning or end. Everything has a beginning. But our God is eternal both past and and future. The most kind, loving person can be driven to hatred. You can push them to hate you. Even if they just hate you for a moment, the most kind person can be driven to hatred. But our God's love for His people knows no end at all. Who is like our God? In a word, our God is holy. There's a reason why we had you guys sing that song earlier. In a word, our God is holy. And I mean that in the formal sense. Right? I don't mean that just in reference to his moral purity and uprightness and his hatred of sin, though that is true as well, and I don't want to downplay that, but I mean this in his formal sense. God is holy. He is entirely unique. You ever think about God? Like, you ever think about that when you think about God? He is unique. There's nothing like him. One of my favorite ways to, to, that I heard, I think it was R.C. Sproul I heard say this, God is other. He's just other from us. He's just distinct from all of his creation. He is just other. That's the best thing that one of the most brilliant theologians could think of to call God. He's holy. He's just different. Right? He's just other from us. He has no equal or comparison. Consider this. Just concerning the triune nature of our God, he has no comparison. Just the nature of God. right? One God, one essence, three persons, but one God There's nothing in in all creation that we can even compare the very nature of our God to. 
I know what you're thinking, the water thing, right? He's vapor, it's solid, it's liquid. That actually breaks down into a heresy called modalism, right? Everything that we might be able to compare God's triune nature to breaks down into some kind of theological error because we can't compare him to anything. Push it further. God alone is self-existent, right? He is self-subsistence, according to the 1689 Confession, meaning he needs nothing from anyone or anything. Self-existent. He is contingent upon nothing. God is the only being in the universe that does not change. That's another thing. He doesn't change. He is immutable. The only being that doesn't change over time. He is the only being that declares the end from the beginning with no caveats. Like maybe. Right? You know, we do that, right? Like this, this is going to happen tomorrow, I think. Because you don't want to look dumb whenever it doesn't happen. Right? But God declares the end from the beginning with no caveats. Right? We might make projections about the future, but God has already declared it, and it is so. He is holy. And to Him alone is due all worship and praise and whatever else He might require of His creation. All because of just who He is. High above us, holy. Who is like our God? No one. And to be completely honest, the psalmist could have stopped there and we would have more than enough reason to worship God. God could put a pin on that one. That's it. But he goes on. And thank God for going on here. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. So we are told to praise God because though infinitely powerful and holy, what does He do? He reaches down to care for His people. What kind of God is this? Who is like this God? There are none like Him. You give a mere man the kind of power and authority that God has, he will help no one. He will rule as he sees fit and not come down off of his throne. Who is like our God? He reaches down to the poor and needy and pulls them out of the ash heap. The King James says, pulls them out of the dunghill and makes them sit with princes, even princes of his people takes a mother who has no home, who has no children, and makes her the joyous mother of many children. What a beautiful truth. What humility from such a mighty God. The God who is high and exalted cares for men. Cares for mankind. Sinful mankind at that. He takes those who are outcasts, who are counted as nothing in this world, who are in misery and suffering and is a father to them. This almighty God comes to the aid of those who look to Him for help. Praise be to this kind of God. Praise be to such a kind God. Our God is not a God who is indifferent to the plight of His children. He is a humble and kind God who helps us. 
Let me stop here and, and say this. To those of you who are in distress and suffering, and I know many of you are, you don't know what the future holds. There's much uncertainty. There's much pain in your life. I want you to know that God is not far from you. That's something that this psalm is implying to us. He's not far. Can, can he be far from the needy person that he pulls out of the ash heap? No. He pulls them out. He must be near to them. Can he be far from the woman that he opens her womb in this psalm? No, he must be very near to her. God is not far from you. Though he is high above all things, there is not one tear that you have shed, not one ounce of sorrow in your heart that God has not seen. If you belong to him, he is near to you. He's nearer to you than the shirt on your back. And he promises to care for you. Because that's what he does to his covenant people. He raises up the one in despair and blesses them. He will come to your aid in accordance with his will. He always cares for his own. Because he is a faithful God to those who look to him. Our God is transcendent and also near to his people, guiding them, taking care of them. He is a God who, and don't misunderstand me, he's a God who condescends. What a beautiful, if you talk about a human being being condescending, he's a jerk. But if you talk about a high and exalted God condescending, coming down, what a God is that? Beautiful. He condescends and gently loves those who look to him. He is mighty and powerful and unmatched and has no rival, but he is full of tenderness and kindness toward the broken. These two aspects of greatness and humility are demonstrated to us supremely in the Lord Jesus. This psalm points us forward to the Christ to come. The one who would show this, be the perfect example Right, God the Son, who though high and exalted and sovereign over all, leaves His throne in heaven to come to earth and to live and die in place of a sinful people? Why? That He might raise us out of the ash heap and seat us with princes. This is the faithfulness of our God. Jesus Christ, the visible image of the invisible God, has clearly revealed to us the character of God, who though high and lifted up, humbles himself to care for his people, who saves his people and turns their sorrow into joy. The humility and condescension of such a mighty God leaves us in awe. We're just stunned because he's so unlike us. But this is true greatness. This is our God. Think about that. Christian, this is your God. He loves you. You know Him. He knows you intimately. This is your God. So the psalm ends on the same note it began with. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In light of all that has been said of our God, praise Him. Declare His goodness. Kneel before Him. Worship Him. Declare His excellence. Give Him what is due to Him. Praise our God. 
And this, as I just said, this psalm is cyclical, right? It ends where it began with a command, with a call to come and worship the one true God. And to steal this from Charles Spurgeon, this is brilliant. This serves as a reminder to us that our life is to be one big cycle of praise and worship to our God. It ends where it began. Start it over again. Right? It's like the repeat symbol if you know how to read music. Play it again. Worship Him again. Continue to praise Him. Because there are none like Him. And He cares for us. Glory to His name. Live your life in praise because of who your God is. So here's your application. It's really simple. This is going to be a lot of the Psalms. See your God. We're going to sing here in just a minute, Behold our God. See Him properly. Fix your eyes on Him. Don't see Him just as high and sovereign and terrifying. See Him as that. Fear the Lord. But see Him as near to you. Someone who cares for you. And likewise, don't just see God as the lover of sinners, but see Him as the high, exalted, holy one with no rival. See Him rightly. Who is like our God? See Him. And once you see Him rightly, praise Him. There you go. Praise Him. Praise Him at all times. No matter how you feel, praise Him. Let your life be one of worship every day. Get your eyes off of where you're at and get them on Him and His worth. If you're in a good spot in life, praise Him. Give Him prayers of thanksgiving and praise. And if your life seems like it's in the gutter right now, get your eyes off of your situation and focus them on Him and praise Him for the faithfulness that He's shown you. If you're a Christian, even if you have nothing else that you can think of to be grateful for, and usually it's our own foolishness that makes us think that way, but you can point to Christ and Him crucified, where God reconciled you to Himself by the blood of His own precious Son, that you might be forgiven and be united with Him and be pure and blameless and spotless in His sight. You can praise God for that, if nothing else. Praise Him. Praise Him because He is worthy. And he will always and forevermore be worthy. Set the eyes of your heart on this God and watch praise flow from your heart like a mighty river. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, you are holy. You are different from us. You are other You hold everything together by your will. Nothing happens apart from your divine decree. And yet, though almighty and unrivaled, you have loved us. And it's not even that you've loved a people who are good. You've loved a people who disobey you. That you would be justified to snap your holy fingers and kill us. But yet you continue to show faithfulness to us because you're also a God of grace. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. Help us to see you. Help us to see that you're near to us. And whatever we're going through, whether good or bad, help us to see this all comes from the hand of God. My God is near to me. My God cares for me. He loves me. He's demonstrated it in Christ and him crucified. I will praise him. Help us to look to you always. 
Let us get a glimpse of who you are. And help us to, Lord, I pray you'd fill our mouths with your praises. That we would see your fingerprints on everything that we might glorify you and worship you as we ought to as your creatures. Grant that to us, please. In Christ's name, amen.